0: out of John 8, from 2 to 12. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have
1: the light of life." That's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bobby. It's good stuff. We are uh, doing this series looking at the I am statements, and they are are kind of like nicknames for Jesus. These nickname statements, and as we look at these. It gives us a glimpse into who they are, right? Just like any nicknames that we might have, or maybe you had a nickname growing up. Uh, Last week, we did a little trivia. We're going to do a little bit of fun today, because we like to have fun in church. It's fun to, right? Joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit, or a uh, character of the Holy Spirit. Uh, No? Yes? We can laugh. We can have some fun. And uh, maybe to wake you up, I'm going to give away some free chocolates. Is that all right? Yes, a few of you would like to play. Uh, Now, some of you are excited to play a little AKA trivia, but this week, last week was musicians' nicknames, famous musicians. This week is athletes, famous athletes. And instead of coming up on stage, all you got to do is, uh, you know, raise your hand, say the name, and if you're correct, mmm, chocolates. There it is, right? Tyler, will you help run the chocolate to people? Yeah? Will you be my Vanna White? All right. All right. Here we go. No? Van White, how about that, there you go, there you go, my Van White, all right, sweet, all right, here's your first one, based on the nickname, who is this, The Hammer, who is The Hammer, Kobe, I saw your hand, who's The Hammer, you forgot, your hand went up so fast, DJ, who's The Hammer, Greg The Hammer, nope, it is not Greg The Hammer, Blank The Hammer, it is not Muhammad Ali. Who's the hammer? The deaf, the deaf wrestler. No. Wrestling's not a sport. He's not an athlete. <laughs> Would not be an athlete trivia. It is a baseball player. Brandon. Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas. No, he was the big hurt. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> he holds held the record for most home runs in a single season, or not in a single season, in a career. Who had the most home runs until a cheater named Barry Bonds took over? Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron. there it is. Let's give it to Brandon. <laughs> wow. A for effort. It was Hank Aaron, the Han- Okay, so last week apparently was so easy. I went really hard. All right, that was the hammer. The next one, here we go. The kid. Well, you don't yell it. All right, so somebody helped somebody. Somebody raised a hand. Vanessa, Ken Griffey. Junior, there it is. (laughs) Well, senior would not be the kid, right? Senior would not be the kid. Yeah, Kangaroo v. Junior, for those of you that are Mariners fans. All right, three more. Here we go. The Black Mamba. Peter. Kobe Bryant, the late, great Kobe. Kobe Bryant was the Black Mamba. All right, two more. Two more chocolates. 45% cocoa. All right. This one had a lot of nicknames. The Louisville Lip, the Hands of Stone, the Champ, and the Greatest. Dan. Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. There it is. He had a lot of nicknames way in the back there. Raise your hand, Dan. I don't think he saw you. Raise your hand, Dan. He, he's got your prize for you. There you go. All right. Last one. A lot of nicknames on this. If you've seen the Sandlot, you'll know it. The King of Swing, the Colossus of Clout, the Sultan of Swat, the Great Bambino. Michelle. Baby Ruth, yes, there it is, Babe Ruth. There it is. A lot of nicknames for those guys. What's the deal? They didn't have one, they had a lot. It's kind of fun to do these little trivia moments. It gets our mind thinking about nicknames, and and as we look at these I am statements, it gives us a glimpse into who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And as we look at who Jesus is, it gives us also a perspective into who we are. And how we follow him. And so we look at all of these I am statements over the summer. We're going to see who we are and how we follow this Jesus. And today we're looking at this statement, I am the light of the world. And so in John 8, verse 12, we saw Jesus say this. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now, when we read this statement, it's important sometimes to zoom out. Let's get a bigger picture. And John is writing to a people, and he's trying to convey this message. Jesus is the light of the world. And through chapter 7, 8, and 9, he conveys this message. So if you zoom out from one verse in chapter 8, zoom out to chapter 7, 8, 9. You can read it later this week. We're not going to read it in its entirety. You're welcome, Bobby. Uh, Right? Can you imagine if we sat through three chapters? Bobby's like, thank the Lord. Uh, well, we'll zoom out, and in, in chapter 7 and the end of chapter 8, Jesus is in a lot of discussion, talking about the validity of his teaching and who he is and his credibility, and he's getting into these heated conversations with the Pharisees. And while he's doing that, he is literally, can we show the, show the graphic there? There it is. There's chapter 7 through 9. That verse comes up there, and then in chapter 7 and 8, we see these passages. This is going to be like a timeline for us to see where these moments are happening. Where where we got it, Caban? throw it up there. There it is. That's where we're at in the story. Now, when he says this, Jesus is literally standing in the courtyard of the temple. And I want you to picture this moment because he's standing in the courtyard of the temple during what's called the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is not a feast we really honor anymore. Uh, But at that time, what it was, was it was a, a celebration of God leading the people of Israel through the desert and into the promised land. And he led them by a pillar of fire. And to represent that fire, When they were standing in the courtyard, there were all these lamps and lanterns and and candelabras around the courtyard that were lit by fire. So I want you to picture Jesus standing in this courtyard, lit up with all this fire around him. And Jesus says what? I am the light of the world. All this imagery around them about light leading them into the promised land. And what does Jesus do? He takes that imagery and he harnesses it and says, I am the light of the world. That's when Jesus is saying this, is is what's happening in that moment. It's as if, you know, that image-rich moment is as if he's standing in the middle of a pumpkin patch in October and says, I am the great pumpkin of the world, right? It would be like this this idea. He's just drawing off this imagery of the moment. But in this case, it's fire and it's light, and it's all of this is to convey the truth of his identity. Then later in chapter 9, as we read in chapter 9, we see Jesus say again, I am the light of the world. He says it twice. In a short period of time, John records it being said twice. And in chapter 9, when you read that, Jesus literally heals a blind man. It's controversial because it's on the Sabbath. The Pharisees get all in a tizzy about it. Ah, how dare you break our rules and and heal on the Sabbath, right? And And they interrogate the blind man, or formerly blind man. And in this moment, the blind man says something so profound. He says, I don't know about this Jesus guy, but I once was blind, and I can now see and John is just conveying this message, I am the light of the world. Constantly as we read, and we, I think if we look at that whole section, we begin to see the Apostle John trying to get this imagery across for us. This is not just one isolated statement. There's a whole context to be written or to be read and understood. And then sandwiched into all of this is the story that Bobby read. This adulterous woman thrown in the temple courtyard, confronted by the Pharisees, being used as a ploy to try to trick Jesus into this gotcha moment by the Pharisees. And this is what happens. And I don't think it's on accident that that story is sandwiched right in between all of this imagery of the light and the dark and he being the light of the world. As we look at this moment that was just read in chapter 8, verse 2 through 12, we're going to see two parties of people, both blinded in their darkness, who encounter the light of the world. And that's what we're talking about today, this idea uh, of encountering the light of the world in our own lives. And so let's look at what it means to live in the darkness because we've got two parties of people living in darkness in this story, right? First, we've got the adulterous woman. In in verses two through 12, we see her story. The adulterous woman is caught in a lifestyle of sin. She's living in darkness. Often in scripture, sin is equated with darkness. Darkness is equated with sin. And so you have this woman who is committing adultery. She's chosen a lifestyle that's contrary to God's guidelines and God's best for her. And the text says that she's literally caught so think about how awkward that moment was. She is caught. She is found doing something she is trying to hide. She is in the shadows, if you will, and exposed. She's living in darkness. The other party living in darkness, though, is the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Right? It's a little less obvious because their darkness isn't so on the surface level. Like You can't just point to it and be like, Yeah, they're breaking this rule. Yeah, they're breaking that rule. Their their darkness is more within. It is their motivations. It is their heart within them. They puffed up. They were judgmental. They were thirsty for blood. They enjoyed seeing somebody punished, and they were driven by this works-based theology. There's a darkness residing below the surface, this egotistical theology and salvation by works, and all of this that's brewing, but they're just as dark as a woman living in adultery. And like the woman or like the religious, I think we ourselves can find ourselves tucking things away into the dark corners of our lives. How many of us do this in our homes? Anybody? You have a shed like that? You have a closet under your bed? You ever move your couch? Oh, man. I got three kids, so I move our couch. I'm like, whoa, look at all the treasures, right? Socks and yogurts and all this stuff. It's just, yeah, yogurts. That's fun. (laughs) Nerf darts, dust, right? How many of us have dark corners of our homes, basements and closets and under the bed, and what have we done? We've tucked these things there. We've hidden them. We didn't want to deal with them. We've swept them into the crevices uh, of that. But how many of us have things in our own lives tucked away into the dark corners of our soul, our minds, our hearts? How many of us have covered it up in darkness, in secrecy. Some of them are easier to notice. You might feel like you're living a bit of a double life. You've got a light and you've got a dark life, right? This life of darkness is one of secrecy and hiding and and one that you're not proud of and one that you wouldn't post on your Facebook page and one that you'd keep from your spouse or keep from your kids or keep from other people, right? You keep it hidden away. It's covered and shrouded in darkness, habits, choices, behaviors, addictions, things of that nature. And some are a little more subtle. Below the surface, there's motivations, there's feelings, there's bias, there's prejudice. There's things that are just as dark residing in our hearts. And we've kept that hidden away. We wouldn't say that in front of a lot of people. But our heart has become a lot like that shed. Just cluttered with all of these things. And, and, and we see it in the religious people, we see it in the woman, and we see it in ourselves. And living in darkness will affect our vision. Living in darkness affects our vision. Think about it. When, have you ever painted a wall in dark lighting? Anybody ever painted a wall in dark light? Right? You're rolling, you're painting, you're doing your thing, and then all of a sudden like you turn the lights on. I got one right here. Right. So I said Jesus is the light of the world. Get ready. Maybe there it goes, right? You, get, you ever get one of these? Anybody have lights when you go painting, right? And you shine a light on that wall? I'm going to shine it on you. Is that okay? Ah! Right? I'm going to go quick. All right. But you're painting in dark lighting like this, and then you put a, uh, put a light on it. What do you see? Streaks, thin spots. You see all the marks. You see the spots you missed. Of course, it wasn't you that missed it. It was somebody else painting that missed it. But you've got to do a second or third coat, right? But it's not until you get the light on it that you're able to truly see what needs to be seen and what needs to be addressed. The idea is that when we're painting in the dark, it's just like living in the dark. It affects our vision. We think it's all good. But in actuality, there's thin spots and missed spots and streaks. For both parties, there's darkness affecting their vision. Look at the woman. Think about the woman being blinded by her darkness. Not having, you know, she, she's, she's living in these habitual choices. She's got a lifestyle of these choices. She is known as a woman in adultery, not just because of one behavior. She's got this characterization, and we don't know why. Maybe she doesn't think it's wrong. Maybe she's apathetic. Maybe she's rebellious. We don't know, and it's wrong for us to speculate on that. But what we do see is a woman that, when confronted with it, drops to her knees. When confronted with it, you see her just covered, not just in darkness, but in what? Shame. Remorse. When the light begins to expose it, when when we're caught in our sin, we're caught in our darkness, you see her just drop to her knees and, and, and she takes this posture of feeling worthless, hopeless, helpless. Her sin has caused her to not just see maybe an apathy or an indifference towards her behavior but it caused her to look at herself as worthless she has dropped to her knees and even though all of her accusers have scattered she's still in this posture of shame darkness affects our vision even of ourselves the religious crowd is blinded wouldn't you agree Think of the religious crowd that's in that space and pointing fingers. They are blinded by their self-righteousness. They think they are so good, they can't see how they're wrong. Oh, we've got this all figured out. I'm so right. You ever been so right, you're actually wrong? They've lost all curiosity. They've lost all questions. They've lost all possibility that maybe we might be wrong on this. We worship a God of love and grace. But we aren't going to be people of love and grace. They are blinded by their ego. They're blinded by their pride. They're blinded by their hatred. You know where you see that they are truly blinded? They don't view the woman as a human. She's an object. She's a pawn in their scheme. They are blinded to the fact that the God that they worship would love somebody like that. That's how blind they are. They can't see humanity sitting right in front of them. She's an object. She's dehumanized. And we become blinded, too. We become blinded to how we're living is wrong, right? We get caught up in our sin. We become numb to it. We live in the the shadows. We become apathetic to it. We become justified that it's okay. We've gone with it long enough. And, And we become blinded to maybe this is not right maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe it's what you grew up in, and so you've just become blinded in that and thought nothing of it. Or maybe you've been in it for so long, you're like, yeah, it's fine now. I'm not as shook up about it. I think we become blinded to how our choices hurt ourselves. We don't see the pain that we're feeling. We don't see the, the, the damage it's doing to our self-worth and our image and our identity, and so it begins to erode and break and fracture. We become blinded to that. We don't see the pain that we're really carrying. And we become blinded to the effects that our choices have on others. I think you see that in this story. Blinded to how it's wrong, blinded to the effect it has on ourselves, and blinded to the effect it has on other people. Uh, I think we get caught up in the idea that, well, it's my sin. It's my problem. It's not theirs. It's my life. It's my choices. And we become numb to that. We become blinded to that. And in this story, we see two parties who are blinded by darkness that they're living in, and yet they need a light. A light. They need Jesus to illuminate. And that's where we get verse 12. I'd never noticed that this passage, I always stopped after he He says, you're no longer condemned, right? I never kept reading and saw that in the context of this whole passage, John, and this this story that we get of the woman, In in, here we get verse 12. And he says, when he spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. So Jesus says he is the light. Right? We're gonna look at this passage a little bit in this, this phrase here. He says, He's the light. Light and God are synonymous in scripture. Right? Genesis chapter one. God said, Let there be. I served that one up for three of you. Right? God said, Let there be. Light. There you go. Chocolates are kicking in out there. <laughs> Share it with your neighbor. Yeah. God said, Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, let's crack that open. We believe in a God that shares. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, at Jesus' birth, it's accompanied by light. Not just the star in the sky, but when the angels show up and the shepherds are afraid, what what is what is what are they afraid of? This bright light in the dark sky. Jesus' birth is accompanied with light. In Acts chapter 9, we see a man named Saul who's a church killer, man. He's a Christian persecutor and, and, and is against the church. And in Acts chapter 9, he has an encounter with Jesus And it is accompanied with light. It drops him to his knees. This blinding light. And he goes from church killer to church pioneer. He goes from Saul to Paul. So God and light go hand in hand. When you read about light and you read about God, these things go together. And so Jesus says he is the light. And so by saying that, Jesus is also not just light, he is God. He is God, and he is the light of what? The world. Let's not forget that. I'm not going to spend a ton of time breaking that out for you, but he is the light of the world, the whole world, not just my world, not just your world, it's the world, right? All people, male and female, all people, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, all people, rich, rich, for saints and sinners, religious and rejects, Jesus is the light of the whole world. And I think it's important for us to remember that, not just say, he's my light, he's your light, he's the light for the world. He's the light for everyone. This is a message that is meant for everyone. And this story shows us that. There was no one too broken for the light. There was no one who is, who is too low, too inferior, or too high above. We all need the light. And he says this after he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And I think we, can, we need to, to kind of focus in on that last statement because we can look at this through an eternal perspective and an everyday perspective, right? And I'll explain that. Eternal and everyday. Eternal is that we can read that. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You can read that with an eternal perspective. If you follow Jesus, he is the path towards eternal life. He says by believing in Jesus, that's how we get eternity. That's how we're forgiven of our sin. That's how we spend our eternity in heaven. You won't spend eternity in darkness. You'll walk in the light of life. And Jesus is is obviously going to have an eternal connotation when he says this. Because he thinks eternally. He doesn't just think in the everyday. But he thinks eternally, and this is a message that he wants shared, right? This is mission critical for Jesus. Think eternal. Think beyond today, everybody, right? Like, he wants us to think eternally. And so I think of when Jesus says this, it is like a billboard on a dark street, right? You ever go on a road trip and see a billboard, and you're like, yes, that's what I need. I need golden arches in my life, right? No? You're driving and you see a billboard, rest area, yes, hallelujah, right? And you go off or you see food is coming or whatever is coming, Starbucks is coming. You see a billboard and you're like, I need that in my life. Well, Jesus is saying eternally, like, let's shine this message out for all to see. They're living in darkness. They're going on this path. Hello, 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 shine a light here on this. That if we believe in him, we would find eternal life but he also cares about the everyday. I love Jesus because he cares about the eternal, but he also lives in the moment, and he cares about the everyday, and I think this applies to us today. And You might be sitting here today feeling like you're at a crossroads, feeling like you're in a moment of decision. You're wondering how to live out your faith. What does it mean to follow Jesus? You got tough choices or need to make a change, and we look to a lot of sources for a lot of insight to be our compass, don't we? And Jesus is saying, let me be your compass. Let me be the one to illuminate the path for what's the next step for you in the everyday sort of thing. Look at the, look at the woman and look at the religious crowd and how he illuminates a path for everyday life for them. Start with, the, start with the religious. Jesus challenged the religious to throw stones if they were without sin. How is that illuminating a path? Hey, if you, if you are perfect... You get to throw a stone. What is he doing in that moment? He's revealing something. He's shining a light in their dark hearts. He's revealing their own sinfulness. He's revealing their need for forgiveness. And he's revealing a path that says, show grace to this woman in this moment. Show a little mercy in this moment. That's everyday life. In a moment, Jesus could say, show some grace. Show some love walk in the path of the God that you worship. See, that's that's how he reveals and illuminates a step, and they take that step. Think about the, the woman when he tells her to go and sin no more. He's illuminating a path for her. He's revealing that she's lived in sin. Yes, he's not denying that. He's not brushing it off and saying it's no big deal. He's not justifying and saying, keep doing it. What does he do? He says, go and sin no more. So he's actually revealing a path to say, come follow me, follow my truth. There's a new path for you. And what is he doing? He's illuminating, go and sin no more. And think about this woman. Think about her. She's been caught in this. She's been living in this. Much like our own selves, think about how many times we've tried to do the right thing and didn't. And Jesus is giving her a bit of hope right here. A little bit of hope to say, I know you didn't think it was possible, but tomorrow could be different for you, woman. Tomorrow, you can go and sin no more. Tomorrow, you could do it differently. And I think even in just saying that, it's, you can walk in holiness. You can walk in righteousness. You can live different now. Jesus lights up a path for her to follow doesn't say continue to wander in darkness. He says, go and sin no more. Go walk this illuminated path that I have for you. See that idea of a path being lit up? Recently, I was at the drive-in. How many of you love going to the drive-in? A few of you. Only a few of you, right? Okay, well, I love the drive-in. It's like camping with movies. It's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy the drive-in. I get to go with my kids and, and uh and, and we went recently and saw a couple movies, and we stayed the whole time. We made it. Yeah, good for us. And as we were watching the movie, obviously, it doesn't start till like 10.30, so maybe that's why some of us bail on going to the movies. They didn't start the first movie until almost 10.30, and, and it's pitch black by the time they start and, and you're watching these, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone with their flashlight comes out, right? Or they turn their phone on, and they're just like, Hello, is this my car? No, you don't drive a Toyota. Get out of here, Right? And they're like looking and doing this and, and going. And, and it reminded me of this, what Jesus is saying. He's lighting up a path for us to follow. Well, they're walking around in between cars looking for what? A path. They didn't want to trip on the rocks or the bumps or the grass or, you know, those little dividers. They didn't want to trip on a car or somebody's stuff or whatever. So they take out their phone and they blind you with it. And they're looking through the light to find the path to follow. I didn't see one person doing this. Right? I didn't see one person shining a light and not walking in it. They illuminated the path right in front of them, and they followed that path. And that's what Jesus is saying. I am a light for your path. Follow me. There's an act of obedience and action in that. It's not just, oh, man, God is a light. That's good news. There's now an action. There's a behavior. There's a change that takes place. He's illuminating a path for us. Now let's do it. So if we find ourselves stuck, we might feel stuck right now. We might feel at a crossroads right now. We might feel like you're living a double life at times. You, you've got some things living in the darkness. You, you're feeling like I'm one way, I'm two-faced almost, right? You're wondering, like, what do I do? How do I live differently? Well, we've got to look at Jesus because he is the light. And allow that teaching, allow his ministry, allow his life follow in his footsteps, do what he did, do what he said, live out the commands to love God and love people. Jesus boiled it down really simply. Love God and love people. Can we do that? Can we shine a light on that path and do that well? Let's stop saying we love God and love people and just doing whatever. Actually shine a light on that path and live that out today because that's what Jesus is illuminating for us to do. And what is that path described as? It's a path of life. It's a path of wholeness. It's a path of fullness. That's the path. It's not going to lead to nothing. Some of us are afraid to say yes to Jesus and follow him because we're wondering, well, what's coming? I don't know what's coming. Except ultimately, I know it leads to a path of life and a path of fullness and a path of wholeness. What I love about the light, as, as you read in John and the other gospels and you read about, John really loved light. I don't know, he must have just like stared at the sun a lot. But you, when you read John's gospel and you read his letters and you read Revelation, there's so much about light, light, light. And what you begin to realize in, in reading John's writings and, and reading about Jesus that the light is not just something we worship. The light is not just something we follow. The light is not something we just tweet on Facebook and and Twitter and all of this and say, wow, that makes me feel good. The light is something that transforms us. It re-identifies us. Look at this passage out of John chapter 12, verse 36. This is Jesus saying this. He says, put your trust in the light while you have it so that you will become sons of light. You see the re-identification that takes place? Follow the light, and you become what? Sons of light. Daughters of light. Children of light. That's who we are. That's how we become defined. You see this connotation of family, belonging, connection. You see, the light is so much more than just, and I think sometimes with with spiritual stuff and, 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 and you know, people religion and spiritual quests and the look for answers and the idea of light. We think of uh, cognitive enlightenment. Oh, if I just have all the answers, if I have all my questions answered and all of this information in my head. But there's so much more than that. There is a redefining that takes place. I'm following the light, but it's redefining who I am. That My identity is not in the things of this world. It is, I am a son. I am a daughter. I'm a child of the light. And Jesus is Again, reiterates this in Matthew 5, verse 14. I'm sure if you've been in church a while, you were waiting for me to read this one. Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. It's interesting that Jesus said he's the light of the world. And then what does he say? You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. This is who we are. This is how we are defined. This is our identity. This is not just who Jesus is. But like I said earlier, this is how we figure out who we are. And you see that in this story. Jesus challenges the woman to go and sin no more. Think of the, not only the re-identification of her now being a child of God, right? But this is more than just a personal morality or a personal holiness. There is now a missional aspect to her life because when people look at her, they see change. Hey, that's the gal that used to be fill in the adjective. Hey, I remember her. She used to, but now she's wait a second, what changed? And what is she going to say? Jesus. Jesus was the catalyst for that change. But see, people would see in her a change, a difference that Jesus made. She is the light of the world. Jesus challenged the religious to show compassion. So that they would engage with the mission of God to show compassion to this world. To show grace. So that people would look at them and say, man, I remember these guys. They used to be really good at following the rules and keeping score. But look at the grace. Look at the mercy. Look at the transformation. What's the difference, guys? Jesus is the difference. They follow the light. We become the light. We identify with the light. It's who Jesus is and it's who he's made us to be. I want to close with, with just this encouragement that I think this is for all of us. Whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you haven't said yes to Jesus, I think that this idea, is, this is important for all of us because even if you've been coming to church for years and you've been following Jesus for years, it is easy to get comfortable in the dark. It is easy to get comfortable living in the dark and not wanting to change and not wanting to expose those areas, right? Just like the sheds and closets of our life, we do that spiritually speaking. And it's easy for us to to get comfortable and to sometimes think that we can see, but we've actually become blind. So there may be some today where it's like, wow, I need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. I pray that He illuminates my life, and there's others of us that we've been following Jesus for a while, but maybe we've become blind, like the Pharisees, and we've become and it is, we've become like Mr. Magoo Christians. Remember the cartoon Mr. Magoo, right? Some of you remember this. It's old man with terrible vision, just kind of bumbling through life, and he'd bump into things, right? And he caused what? Destruction everywhere. Just banging into things and bumping into things. I don't know if it was intended or not, but the reality was he thought he could see, but he couldn't. And there were consequences. And I wonder how many Christians over time have become like Mr. Magoo, where we've just, we think we can see, we think we have the answers. And we aren't allowing the light. Of Jesus to illuminate all aspects of our life. So my prayer right now is that God would open our eyes. Open our eyes to the light of Jesus and it would shine through all aspects of our life so that it could shine into our world. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the light of the world. And you came to illuminate our lives. All areas of it. Church, I want to give anybody a chance to respond right now if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time. To saying yes to the light. Not my light. Not somebody else's light, but he is the light of the world. To bring forgiveness and restoration, healing, hope, and a new path. Church, if you want to say yes to following Jesus today for the first time, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I just thank you that you are the light of the world. And I pray for all of us right now, whether we're in the room or we're watching online, I pray that you would be the light that guides us. We're feeling stuck. We're feeling at a crossroads. We're wondering what to do next. God, if we've grown complacent, if we've developed a spiritual blindness to an area of our life, open our eyes. Help us to be teachable and shapeable to you. Give us courage to say yes to following you and taking the next step, whatever that is. But God, I pray that you help us be a light in this world. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.